Welcome to the MLC Show for Property Professionals. I am your host, Sean Rogers, and I am delighted to be joined on today's show by Nicola Firth, the CEO and founder of Knowledge Bank. Nicola, how are you? How are things? I'm good, thank you. How are you? I'm really good, thank you. Yeah, um, obviously it's been quite a crazy year and quite crazy circumstances. I'm surprised I've still got hair and that it's not completely grey. So I'm just just about clinging on. <laughs> how, how, how is it, how's the last month been? How, how, how have things been in the business? How have things been for you? Yeah, really. Do you know what? We've had a great year and and part of me feels a little bit bad about saying that because there are a lot of companies that, that through no fault of their own this year it's, it's not been a good year for them but it's been a great year for us and technology and the mortgage industry in general um because it's really just come into its own i think now so uh, so yeah it has been a good year but you know on the positive as well we we've also grown the business so we've we've recruited um four soon to be five new staff on on the back of that so Brilliant. The ocean with regards to unemployment, but you know, at least uh, so. Yeah, we are. We've, we've had a really good year. It's been busy, um, but uh, but good. Brilliant. And, and could you tell us about your early career and experiences before you founded Knowledge Bank? Yeah, definitely. So, so my background in the industry uh, was as a broker. So, so I've been a broker as a broker for around about fourteen years um, before Knowledge Bank. And in the in the good times and the bad times, and I say that because I was a broker pre two thousand and seven, two thousand eight. And then post 2007, 2008, and those two worlds were very different. Um, so yeah, so I worked in the estate agent for a long time. That's where I started, and uh, and then then I was self-employed, had my own brokerage um, before Knowledge Bank. So so yeah, that's where that's where that's my history. So I get I get it. I understand where brokers are coming from. I understand the challenges that they face, and you know I've, I'm I'm only one step away now. You know, very. Uh, I did that job for so many years and, and things change, but a lot of things remain constant as well. Uh, so. was, was there anything, um, was there any similarity, uh, certainly for people who may be a bit, um, who didn't live through that time or weren't in the sector at that time, are there any sort of similarities to 2008 and, and what some of the challenges you faced in the sector then maybe that you might see in the next year or do you think they're like chalk and cheese? Um, I think there are some similarities in, in terms of on the face of it. I think some similarities that brokers will have seen now is the uh, that the seen, thinking about lenders thinking, oh, lenders don't want to lend. And I think I think anybody who's been uh, who's actually been in that situation uh, of 2007, 2008 would perhaps think about that in a, in a different way, really. Um, the differences was in, in 2007, 2008 and onwards, lenders really, really didn't want to lend. They, they just didn't want to lend. They had uh, they had no money to lend. They were they, you know, they were in dire straits because of the credit crunch and everything that was going on. So the result of that was they were trying their best not to to, to lend. They were they were um, making underwriting was very difficult. Difficult to get cases through. Now brokers are seeing that currently it's difficult to get cases through, but the differences are are like night and day. So even though the the sort of um, you know the, the symptoms might seem the same, the cause is very different. This year, lenders have wanted to lend, but they've had to be cautious because obviously this is just like such a, a fluid um, market at the minute. You know, we're looking at house prices. They've had the challenge with valuations, not being able to enter people's properties. 
dealing with staff on furlough, the mortgage payment holidays that were thrown at them. So staffing issues there and the ability to do the job. And then, of course, they've had the, the issues with, um, you know, self-employed, furlough um, and how stable is that client? So they're probably looking at, well, they are looking at cases a lot more, a lot more closely. But the reasons are very different. So there are some similarities in cases in terms of what we're seeing. But I do think that, I mean, just this last week or so, 90% lending has sort of come back with a bang. And that's great. That's fantastic. And that's, you know, that's been helped by uh, negotiations with IMLA um, so that one lender's not getting swamped by all of the 90% business. Um, so I think it's very different. I think the other thing that's really different as well is that was a long, hard, deep recession. And we didn't really see it coming good truly until around 2014. That's that's a long time. Each year you think it's got to be better this year. It's got to. And it just didn't get better. Whereas already we can see next year those green shoots really um they you know the the vaccine and, and what have you you know things will be different next year. House prices will always change they'll always go up and down but broadly speaking I think next year will be um, a lot more positive. Well, following on from that, I'm interested in what do you think the biggest changes, um, or maybe there won't be any big changes, but do you think there'll be any big changes in respect to lenders' criteria next year? I mean, you mentioned, as an example, I've seen quite a lot of comment recently about mortgage payment holidays in that they, you know, it's well known they got offered to the market. Um, a lot of people took them, and then the FCA in their wisdom then decided some after the horse had bolted to then start putting out the warnings. Yeah. Um, and look, you could argue that maybe people should have um, had the foresight to maybe see that coming, probably. But I, I think that's a bit harsh in the basis that I think people have took them, see the FCA warning, then see the way the years played out. And I've gone, oh, you know, I took that because there's an argument that I needed to. But I think a lot of people took it because they just thought it was the safest thing to do because of the uncertainty. Um, if they've ridden that storm, they may well be saying, oh, now I see the potential consequences of taking it, I wish I hadn't. I mean, what what do you think, how do you think lenders will deal with that? How would you like to see lenders deal with that? And do you think there'd be any other changes to their criteria next year? Yeah, so I think the payment holidays is a really contentious issue. I think it was done at, um, at great haste and great speed. And hindsight is a wonderful thing. The lenders didn't know it was coming. A lot of lenders were sat watching that announcement at the same time as, as the general public thinking, OK, <laughs> right. Um, and also as well, with a little bit of hindsight, the way it was, for want of a better word, marketed, then perhaps, you know, payment holiday, a holiday as connotations that it's it's something that's good it's fun and of course you know that the true implications of a payment holiday is that you still need to make those payments and that that interest is going to get um rolled up or, or however they're going to deal with it so so this was absolutely this was a knee-jerk reaction to, to what the public needed as things were sliding and quickly way back in march so in terms of future implications, one of the things that, that got said around the time is that you won't be penalised in terms of it will not be reported in on your credit report. And that's still the case. So, so when they said that, that wasn't being disingenuous. That genuinely was the case and is the case. However, what you've got to remember is that lenders don't just look at credit reports. Lenders look at bank statements. We now have open banking that a lot of lenders utilise to, to underwrite. And the mortgage payment is, for most people, the biggest payment that goes out of their bank account every month. So if it's missing, they can see you've had a payment holiday. Now, it's how they're going to deal with that, because, of course, there was the initial three-month payment holiday. And a lot of people took that. So a lot of people took that because they needed it they weren't working and they needed it 
People took it because they thought, well, we might need it, so let's we better take it just in case. Other people thought, brilliant, let's take it. Let's have three months off. Why not? So a lot of different reasons. So we can't even judge people on, on that first three months. It then got extended to, to four months and then got extended further. So I think perhaps what I would like to see is for lenders certainly to waive that first three months through. Because what you've got to remember is even though this might seem unfair, lenders are looking at risk profiling. And if you haven't been able to afford genuinely to pay your mortgage for eight months, is that being responsible then putting them into more debt because that you know potentially a bigger loan consolidating or whatever so i think it is important that that lenders take that into consideration just from a being a responsible point of view and also brokers as well i mean if you know putting my broker hat on again if somebody sat in front of me and they'd had eight months of payment holiday I would be asking the questions you know what is going to change your situation to make this new mortgage affordable I think the area that is, is of most interest to me is the buy-to-let market. And the reason that, that I find that interesting is because for any landlord, they're asked the question whether they assess the, the uh, sorry, the, not the landlord, sorry, the, yeah, sorry, yes, the landlord, uh, so the applicant. So they're asking then, they're asking the question, in the event of, of a tenancy void in payments, can you make the payments? And on that application, that, that landlord, the applicant will have said, yes, we can. But then they've taken a payment holiday. So what was that all about? Could they afford the payments? Were they just chancing it? So, so they undoubtedly buy to let lenders are going to look at this. You know, they absolutely are because they're going to say, hang on a minute. You said that if you had a, a void in rental payments, you could afford to pay it. So what happened there? So I would like to see um, the mortgage payment holidays treated fairly um, as we go into next year. I think it would be great if they were able to disregard those first three months because I think there was too much ambiguity around it and it, it was an knee-jerk reaction, but then perhaps look more in depth at people that have taken them for a little bit longer. I think in terms of other criteria, I think we are going to see some uh, changes around. I mean, we're seeing a constant shift change in uh, self-employed criteria. We'll see how that pans out. There could also be criteria that develops from certain industries and typically leisure, tourism, the arts, that kind of thing, because those industries have been severely affected. So I think I think if we see any new criteria, it will be um, perhaps industry related. Uh, and I wouldn't be surprised at that next year. Yeah, I mean, I, I, you wouldn't think necessarily it would impact one on the other, um, but I'll, I'm quite interested to see how the credit card situation might change maybe a risk profile perhaps. The reason I say that is I've heard in the past 12 months that people at quite high level have been saying there's a massive storm brewing that, that over the last sort of 10 years, sort of post-credit crunch, that a lot of credit card companies had really ramped up and, 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 and you know we've seen things where people just have credit limits extended by text and it, and it wasn't even really a request, it was we're, we're extending your credit. Um, and you've seen in the past month or two, the Barclay card, wherever they've been able to have just, I mean, I've seen stories of people who had £15,000 credit limits who have been with Barclay cards since they were 18 and they've been knocked down to £400 mm -hmm. when they've got high credit records. I mean, they, it looks like they're running scared. So would that affect mortgages? Ordinarily, we'll know why to a certain extent why would it but if people are unable to get credit in other ways and if the credit card companies start to get aggressive mm -hmm. potentially um, because I suspect they are going to get aggressive now in terms of 
I imagine some aren't even going to be happy with interest, just the minimum payment. I think some are going to want to be seeing you working towards paying these balances down. And I'd be surprised if you see, like a lot of people might have flipped it to a 0% balance elsewhere, but now they might not be able to get the same credit limit to do that and and, and all those kind of Martin Lewis. And that's not that's not criticism anyway. They were smart tactics. If you've got the credit card, flip it over to 0% interest, that's fine. I just wonder how many people have actually got into a habit with that, if you like, and now I just don't think that's going to be there for them. And I think, I think you know, you, you have to be careful because then inadvertently that, that can and does affect mortgages. And you might think it's a credit card, but it's different, it is different lending. But when a mortgage lender is assessing, um, they're looking at your overall indebtedness. So if you had a credit card with a £5,000 limit and you had a £1,000 balance on there, you're only utilising 20% of that. So that's that looks as though you're managing money well, you're not you're not over-indebted, you're not reliant on the credit card. If that balance then drops down to £1,000, then all of a sudden you're, you know, you're at 100% of your credit. So these things... And if you've got three, imagine you've got three credit cards yeah. and you're using one of them yeah. and two of them say no more. Yeah, wow. absolutely. So all of a sudden, in the background, that does change the risk, the profiling, and the score. Um, so, so all of these things will inadvertently have implications, without a doubt. Do you think um, you were saying before that, that you know green shoots of recovery for twenty twenty one? It's interesting. I've seen quite a lot of people be really positive about the property market in twenty twenty one and beyond. Sort of really um, start the decade well and kick on. I've seen a couple of other people saying. They're a bit nervous about what's going to happen April, May, June in terms of how quickly things settle down because I think on the 31st of March at the moment you're looking at the end of furlough, stamp duty holiday, which I'm amazed has not been, I'm I'm amazed it hasn't been extended. Um, maybe they'll change their minds on that, but at, at the time of recording they've basically said they won't be. Um, I think help to buy is ended on the 31st, then you've got Brexit, um, house prices can't go up forever mm-hmm. um what do you think do you think it's just take you know jump every fence at a time is it just uh, people should maybe be nervous about april may june onwards with all them things coming or do you think it'll it'll be quite a good trajectory upwards i think people are right to be cautious because whenever there's uncertainty there there's cautiousness and i think i think that's that's right to look at that I think um, it's inevitable that, that next year there will be, um, you know, some changes and, and and some negative impact on this. We've not really felt the true negative impact this year. So I think I think there is a bit of an inevitability about that. However, I, I'm still really positive about next year. And the one thing that, you know, the will of, of the people in, in the UK to, to buy their own homes, to move, you know, it, it's very strong. And, you know, we we do have a strong housing market. And as long as we don't see prices literally tumble off a cliff, then that momentum will keep going. It might slow down, but it will keep going. What you've also got as well is a lot of people. So if you look this year, you think self-employed people have had a really rough year. But look at trades, plasterers, joiners, plumbers, decorators. They've had a brilliant year because people have been spending money on their homes and they've actually been, um, you know, that they've been able to save money. They've not been going out. They've not gone on holiday. So there's a lot of money in people's pockets now that, that weren't. So people who were furloughed, they, they were on at least 80 percent of their of their salaries. 
they were sat at home, they were able to spend that money, they were, you know, so this is not, you know, a lot of people have been out of work and are out of work, and that's going to affect one portion, but there's a lot of people that have actually done all right out of this year, or or certainly not gone backwards, you know, so 80% of their salaries, but they've not been going out to work, they've not been paying for uh, travel, they've not been going on holiday, that kind of, so so the money, there is money there in, in, in the system, and I think people's desire to move has also been sparked by a lot of people now working from home, a lot of people thinking they're going to continue to work from home. Um, and that's going to, that is going to continue. Um, so they're looking, we've seen trends. Um, so we have seen trends um, where people are now looking to move two things, one out of cities into more rural areas and, and two looking for either extension to put extensions on the properties Um you know, sheds in the garden or buying properties with more more space in because being locked down in your own home makes you look at it very differently and and how that space works for you and your family. And who you lock down with. Yeah. <laughs> the, the escape portal. Yeah. The, so I if you if you were back in I'd be interested, Nicola, if you were back in the brokerage um and what would your view be on self-employed applicants sort of twenty twenty one and beyond? Would you would you just be saying no? I'm not changing anything. Would you maybe be? I wouldn't say steering clear, but would you would you would you be looking at them incredibly carefully, or would you possibly say it's an opportunity and think maybe I can go a bit niche there in that because it might be harder um, to potentially place some self-employed applicants that actually, if I am fully aware of all the opportunities in the market if i can go and get all the lenders criteria Mm. across the market then maybe not only can i meet their needs and turn what others would say is a no into a yeah but your broker fees are going to be justifiably greater as a result in that you know make more for doing less work what what would your attitude be to it I mean, I, you know, having worked through that credit crunch as a broker and the five, six years that, that came after it, knowing how hard that was, I know it's not impossible to, to, to get mortgages for people, even in tricky situations. And what we have got is, is that there, there are some great specialist lenders out there that will, they're not doing tick box exercises when it comes to underwriting. They are looking at cases and they're looking at common sense. So, um, so I was chatting um, with, with a lender, and uh, he did one of our, our webinars. He gave us a great example. Um, so, Mark Whitty from Foundation Home Loans, and he said they'd been presented with a case. Now, this was this was while we were in lockdown, and he'd been presented with a case. Um, it was a gym owner, and he owned six gyms, and that was his business. Self-employed, he owned six gyms. Now, straight away, as a broker, you could be thinking, oh, wow, right, okay. Gyms are, gyms are closing. Gyms are getting hit. We don't know when they're opening. This guy's not going anywhere. But actually, when they looked at it, the vast majority of the, of the gym membership was still being paid. So the fact that the gyms weren't open didn't affect his income. Now, I'm not saying his income wouldn't be affected later on down the line, but people hadn't cancelled their gym subscriptions. So, so even things like that, you've got to really get under the hood and think, how viable is this? A good test I always used to, to apply is, would I lend my own money on this case? And if the answer is yes, it's worth fighting for. It absolutely is. And, you know, the, the criteria, obviously, on, on systems like Knowledge Bank, it's all there at your fingertips. So you don't even need to spend hours and days researching a case. It's, it's all there. And I think, you know, that there's a home for most cases. If people are earning, that there are homes for most cases out there, you know. So, so I wouldn't be deterred at all. Not at all. 
And what would your advice be to a newly qualified um, broker or someone entering the market for the first time, or maybe someone who's returned to the to the mortgage broker sector? What would you what's your pearl of wisdom? Run, don't do it now, money kid. Money kid. Uh, do you know what? I I absolutely love being a broker, and it's you know the the best thing you can do is is provide great customer service because people will remember you. You know, I I set myself a goal to be self sufficient uh, with regards to leads, and that's entirely possible with recommendations and referrals. And one thing I always say is, and it, and this is true for for anything you do in life, if you do a good job, you'll earn a good living. And people want that advice. They need it. They, they'll trust that person giving it. So, so if you, I think one of the most important things you can do is, is broaden your knowledge. Um, so take advantage because CMAP, people talk about CMAP world and the real world. And there's, there's a reason for that because CMAP world is slightly different to, to, to the real world. Um, you come across your first case and you think, well, that wasn't in a textbook anywhere. Um, so, so it's a big, big learning curve. It's, 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 people use the analogy, it's like passing your driving test and learning to drive. And absolutely, that is, that is the case without a doubt. So the more knowledge you can acquire, if you want to then specialise in a particular area, that's not a bad thing and you can market yourself in that area. Um, But get the tools that you need for the job. A good CRM system is absolutely vital. Um, Choose your product sourcing system. Uh, Again, have demos of them because they are, yes, they're all product sourcing, but they're very different. Same with criteria. Not everything is the same. The quality of of the systems varies massively. Um, Also, in terms of the amount of criteria, the lenders, the the lending types that are on there, there are a lot of differences. So get the systems. And and the thing is, is once you get those things in place, you put those down, you think, right, that's what it costs me to do my job. They're the tools for my job. You know, a lot of brokers will think, oh, I'll try and manage without CRM. I know I need product sourcing, but I'll try and manage without CRM. I'll use an Excel spreadsheet don't you know I'll, I'll try and manage that criteria system I'll just I'll try and keep my own spreadsheet up to date or I'll just ring around don't it's like you know if you were if you were a tradesman that's your toolbox that is your toolbox and if you have a good set of tools you'll do a good job so so that would be my advice take you know watch as much as you can there are some great webinars out there um you know from, from a learning perspective and, and speak to lenders. That's the other thing as well. You know, BDMs are an absolute wealth of knowledge. So, so make sure that you're speaking with BDMs and understanding what what their offerings are. And on Knowledge Bank, I mean, wow, like what an achievement! You know, just generally as well to have a vision and make it become reality. Um, and you know, you guys have gone on to win awards like the British Specialist Lending Awards, Best Newcomer in the Mortgage Space, Best Use of Technology. I could go on. Um, what was it like? Um, you know, prior to, prior to it really getting started, what was it like creating and launching Knowledge Bank? Do you know, it's, it's a funny one because, you know, you have that idea and you think, oh, I, why has nobody done this? So as a broker, I, I tried to keep my own spreadsheet up to date. And it's just, it's not impossible. It, it really is just impossible and do the job as well. And I just thought, right, okay, product sourcing's out there surely surely somebody has done this with criteria and I googled the life out of it and I, and I couldn't find it there was just nothing absolutely nothing and then I asked around and, and everybody told me uh, oh yeah that, that can't be done that's not possible and I thought mm, okay has anybody tried you know so so that's where Knowledge Bank was born from it was it, you know it was born from frustration thinking you know what here we are in you know this is uh, 2015 when I when the, the, we had the original idea and, you know, this, we've got the internet, 
think this is here to stay. It's certainly caught on. You know, why have we not got this this facility? So that's what we did, and 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 you know that is exactly where Knowledge Bank was born from. Um, ironically, it's the system that I wanted to use as a broker, and now I'm not a broker anymore. But <laughs> that's just uh, just the irony of it. But yeah, that's where it was born from. Thinking, you know, if we if we get all of this information in one easily searchable place. And if lenders keep their own information up to date, that just made sense to me. So, and it turns out it was possible. What was was there ever a time? I mean, you'd left. I think you'd left the brokerage, hadn't you? I, I think. I think there was, from reading off, but I think there was a, maybe a short overlap. But generally, I think you'd taken the full risk, hadn't you? And, and, and I'm just thinking to myself, there must have been a time during that process where. I don't know, where you just scared it was never going to happen, that it was never going to, you know, you're a mortgage broker actually building a tech project for mortgage brokers, you know. Um, you know, there must have been hurdles to overcome. There must have felt like Mount Everest, you know. There must have been times where you just felt like giving up. I mean, how, how do you overcome stuff like that? You know, looking back? I think I think that the, the, the driver, the real driver was the absolute belief in what we were doing. You know, the belief that this is the right thing. It was right for lenders, because lenders were spending so much time keeping spreadsheet after spreadsheet up to date. And of course, the second you say, you know, they're, they're updating spreadsheets. So some lenders would tell us, even the Legal and General Mortgage Club, that they only updated their spreadsheet two or three times a year. Well, criteria doesn't just change to it. So, so potentially they're giving out through no fault of their own, they're giving out incorrect criteria. So we thought, surely lenders are, are going to like this. Brokers are going to love it. And of course, it's the right thing for the customer because, you know, brokers who um, are maybe selecting, um, they'll have a panel in their head of maybe five, six, seven lenders because they know their criteria. Well, inevitably, they'll be losing business because of that. And can they hand on heart saying they're doing the best job for their clients? Definitely not. So, so it was that belief that we were doing the right thing. And we, you know, we kind of thought, build it and they will come. You know, it's, uh, you know, it was a bit, a bit feel the dreams. But yeah, it was that case thinking, you know, if I think this is a good idea and I've been a broker all these years, surely the brokers will, will agree. And and of course, they, they did. Um but yeah, it was, you know, we we had to run at brokers and lenders equally hard. Lenders wanted brokers on the system, but brokers wanted lenders on the system. So there was a chicken and egg element. And yeah, I, I suppose there were some times it, that you just realise the the size of the, the job you've taken on. Um, and it, I did have one particular moment, actually, where that, that happened. And I went to, um, uh, I was invited to an Amy dinner and... All of a sudden, I'd just gone from being a broker in Barnsley, and then people knew who I was. They were talking to me about the system, and I thought, oh, okay. You know, I got back to my hotel room, and I remember thinking, ah, what have I done? <laughs> you know, because I'm either going to, you know, we're either going to succeed or I'm going to fail big. You know, it's going to go one way or the other. Um, but for me, all we, you know, and the team, all we could see was was uh, success, really. That that and, and, and by success, what I mean is, providing the industry with a system that everybody could use to benefit lenders, brokers and customers, that's success. You know, it was, you know, we're not a big VC-backed tech company. It was all about doing the right thing for the right reasons. And that's, and that's still, we're still at that place even now. Brilliant. And what, tell us a couple of the, the best features about it and you've got to pick the best one. So what, what, if you've got to pick one, you've got one shot at it. What, what is the one thing that you go, yeah, do you know that actually that's probably the, the best feature? So 
I mean, I could, I could, I could list a hundred. But if you're going to give me one feature, I tell you what, I, uh, I really actually can I have two? Can I have two features? Yeah, go on. Because there's two, and I just can't pick between them. So the two features that I really, really love on Knowledge Bank. Number one is the evidence of research. And that was something that was really important to us from, from the start. That, you know, the, the SEA asked for, uh, you need to evidence your research. So in the event of a complaint, you've got something to back up your recommendation. And the industry is taking that to mean product sourcing results, but that only tells half a story. If you've picked a lender that's not at the top of the product sourcing results, how are you justifying that? So we give an evidence of research that says on this day, at this time, this is what these lenders said their criteria was. And that, coupled with your product sourcing, bolt and braces for your recommendation. So I love that feature. That went in from the beginning. But the other feature that I really, really love, so that's a compliance thing. But the thing that I really love on the system is the, is the broken notes. So, so on every piece of criteria, every and there's, there's over 120,000 pieces of criteria from over 250 lenders across all the different lending types. But you can put your own notes as a broker on the system. They're only visible to you. We don't see them. The lender doesn't see them. So when, when BDMs come in and say, oh, when they used to come in your office, now they do Zooms, don't they? But when, uh, when a, B, a BDM says to you, we don't publish this, but for a good case, we would accept X, Y, and Z. And you get your little notebook out, you're like, oh, I'll remember that. And you write that down and you don't remember it. And you don't open the notebook up because you're busy and you don't see it again. And then that fact gets lost. Whereas on Knowledge Bank, you put that in the notes, it stays with that lender, with that criteria. And the next time you have a case like that, it comes up and you're like, oh, yes, actually. So I love that feature. That, that, I think that's probably my favourite little feature on there. And... Um playing completely devil's advocate um if i'm an experienced mortgage broker and you know i've got just a vast level of experience knowledge keep in touch with the lenders know them all inside out you know why why should i consider signing up to a trial or reviewing knowledge bank or having a look at the service and you know what that is a really good question is that it's just a really good question and one of you know i said build it and they will come and one of the questions that we got, you know, brokers were saying to us, I've been doing this job years. And they said, oh, it's all up here. I know it. It's all up here. But the reality is it isn't. And it's not about memorising every single piece of criteria. So to put that in context, so on Knowledge Bank, across all the lending types, we have over 120,000 pieces of criteria. Now, first off, if you can remember all of that as a broker, I would argue that you're wasted as a broker. And I would say that, that you'd be better off on a poker table in Vegas because you're going to earn a lot more money with a memory like that. So that's the first thing. Second thing is, right, so let's say you memorise all of that criteria. This year alone, there have been over 27,000 changes to criteria. So you've kept up with those as well. It's absolutely impossible. So I don't care how experienced you are, re remembering criteria is just, you just, it's impossible. You will know some, you absolutely will know some, but actually that the skill of the broker is, it's not a memory test. And I think brokers, there's a lot of pride in, in what they know and their knowledge, and that's not taking it away from them. But it's the practical application of that knowledge that matters. And that's the value to, to the client. So it's, it's the client's not impressed that you can remember X number of criteria. What they're impressed is what you do with that knowledge and the advice that you give them. Uh, and the analogy I always give is imagine you get on a plane and, and, and the, you're fastening your seatbelt and, and the pilot comes over the tunnel and says, listen, 
don't worry. I don't, you know, we normally get on with a checklist and check through everything, but it's all up here. You don't need to worry. Are you worried? A little bit. So, so it's the, the point is, is you, you've got a tool for the job. Everybody has checklists and things, you know, things move on, but it's what is the practical application of that knowledge. So, so even the most experienced brokers have been, you know, really, really pleased with Knowledge Bank because they've said, do you know what? It actually means I don't need to learn this ever-changing stuff. And there's a 27,000, just over 27,000 changes this year alone. And where do you start to keep up with that, you know? And what, where would you like to see the business in a year's time? You got any new exciting releases we can look forward to? Is there anything you're allowed to tell us about things that you've got in the pipeline? You know, where would you twelve months time? What would you what would you like to be looking back on over the last twelve months? So I'm gonna I'm gonna give you something juicy here. So um, early next year we're actually launching. So so we've partnered with Iris, the big product sourcing system. And um, so Iris X Plan, which is there, which is a, that is that sourcing system is brilliant. I used to use Trigold as a broker, and um, I so I've looked at X Plan, and X Plan is brilliant, absolutely fantastic. And we've now partnered with uh, with Iris X Plan to bring criteria and product together. So this is not just both systems on the same login. This is not just a you know this is actually product and criteria together. And we're, we're just we're just in the testing phase now, so it's going to be launched early next year. So as a broker, you will be able to go on and say, right, okay, people sat in front of me. Um, she's self-employed. He's on a zero-hours contract. They get child benefit. They're buying a property with a thatched roof, and they had a CCJ that was satisfied over three years ago. They want a two-year fixed rate with no arrangement fees and a free valuation. Who will do that? And you'll be able to put all of that in and it'll tell you the lenders that will do it will come up. I mean, that is like, I'm so excited by that because that is next level. So that just brings these two systems together. So we're still completely independent. Iris don't own us. They're not, you know, we've just partnered because we've gone like, okay, best in breed in criteria systems, best of breed with product sourcing systems and bring them together. And that is such a powerful, uh, a powerful tool in the hands of brokers. It really is the time that will save them. Um, having those two things together will just be massive. And then when it comes to recommendation, that is bolt and braces. Nobody can challenge that because you're not going to have that situation where, oh, I didn't go with the, the, the cheapest. Why didn't you go? Oh, they wouldn't do it because of criteria. The one that will do it will come to the top. So, so yeah, so that is launching very early next year. So that's, that is an absolute industry first. There you go. Brilliant. Amazing. You heard it here first, hopefully, by the time this goes out, <laughs> and bravo. But I think going on from that, I do think as an outsider, who, look, look, who, who complete, like I'm the first person to accept, I know zero about, about the sector. Um, that's why I, I make sure I've got plenty of people around me who do know a lot about the sector. But something that I find interesting is that I think there's a huge um, opportunity and potentially could never have been a better time to be a broker to a certain extent on the basis that I think you're going to see a lot of different systems now um, stop being so independent yeah. and understand that actually yeah. I think the first person who can put an end-to-end uh, aggregation of solutions together yeah you know and look, look look at your journey with knowledge bank what do you do do you build it from scratch yourself and write off half a decade or do you go hey Nicola 
why don't we bring you in under under a bigger umbrella? Yeah. And I think as an outsider looking at it, I think whoever puts the right parties fully under one roof yeah. um, and gets the right partners working together yeah. for the greater good potentially wins. Absolutely. I completely agree with that. And, and when I'm talking, you know, I've just mentioned about best in breed because, you know, you can't be a jack of all trades and you will be a master of none, you know, and that's, that is a fact. And we do see, um, you know, companies think, oh, I'll have a go at this. We'll, we'll you know, and they, they don't necessarily, the problem is with tech companies, they don't always understand what brokers need. And that's the problem. I think if you look at some of the best tech that's out there and, and, you know, putting knowledge bank to one side, there are other systems like, so for example, um, that there's an affordability calculator from BrokerSense that was done by, um, that was done by a broker. That's brilliant. You look at, um, for example, OMS, um, OMS, uh, one mortgage system that's been put together by brokers. That's absolutely fantastic. Tracker Hub, um, where you can track all your commissions and referrals fees. Again, a broker's done that. The brokers really understand what other brokers need. They've walked that path. They've worn those shoes. And and so so quite often, tech companies spend an awful lot of money to then get it wrong. We've all used systems we've been given that you think really, you know, this has cost how much. So, so I think you're absolutely right. I think it's a case of rather than trying to be all things to all people, you know, just do what you do and do it really, really well. That's like we do criteria and, and we're actually now the only criteria system that only does criteria because actually we do that really well. And, it, you know, if, if, I, if I give that as an analogy into sort of, um, you know, if you look at mortgage brokers and IFAs, IFAs can do mortgages and they do do mortgages. And I'm not saying some don't do it really well. But a mortgage broker specialises in mortgages. So their knowledge on, on mortgages alone is going to be absolutely 100%. They know nothing about pension investments or very little, but they, they, they good, they're good at what they do. They specialise in that area. So I think you're right. I think, I think to be a specialist at what you do, do it really well and then integrate. Because with APIs now, application process interface, that the, the two the things just come together. So you are... Yeah, that, totally. That's that's what I, what I can see happening yeah. potentially if people aren't careful. Is I can see over the next year or two there being some phenomenal um, new services created. Yeah. Um, and you know, look, I'm hoping that you know, all I'm just a piece of glue personally. You know, I, I try and get mortgage brokers and and people in the profession around me, and then I go and find the developers, and then I just. I'm just a bit of glue, really, and, and, and try and communicate between everyone to make things happen. Yeah. But something that I could potentially see happening is people go, I'm just a bit overjumped now in that I've got six or seven or eight different pieces to my business that I really you know, want to use, because whatever it be marketing, whether it be compliance, whether it be sourcing, whether it be criteria, whether it be CRMs, whatever, at some point in time, I'm going to go, my favourite bars, all my, my remember me logins and me passwords is, is as big a factor as anything else so i can i can see it whoever can go you log into one place yeah. and you've got all of you've got all of this under one roof i i think I, I think you know i won't be able to pull that off but whoever does pull that off i'm certain yeah. wins and there, are, there are people out there already doing it so so just to give one example uh you know that we're involved with mab so MAB are building uh, what was, you know, effectively 
like a smartphone. So everybody's smartphone looks the same. You get an iPhone out of the box, it looks the same. But but two peoples are very different because they've got the apps on that you want to use. And you know what they're building is some fantastic concepts. So all of their brokers get to pick what's your favorite product sourcing, what's your favorite criteria, what's your, you know. And they're building that system that they want to use. So it's a massive undertaking. Um, but you, you're absolutely right. Whoever nails that will, you know, that is um, that is the future, getting all of these things in one place and they flow along the journey without a doubt. And that is it for this week, everyone. I cannot thank you enough, Nicola. <laughs> you genuinely, I, I quite often say this at the end of, of most shows, but you've been an absolute star. It's been so much fun, and thank you so much for your time. Um, you, you've been so insightful. That's brilliant. Uh, if you want further information on Knowledge Bank, obviously, please go and check them out. Um, you can find out absolute tons about them as well on the Mortgage Broker Club. We'll be You'll be sick of the sight of us putting stuff on LinkedIn and Facebook uh, about Knowledge Bank. We absolutely adore them. So, Please share and spread the word about our show. If you listen on an Apple podcast, please hit us with a five-star review. Um, remember to check out the products and services at mortgagebrokerclub.co.uk. And most importantly, please stay well and take care.